Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this is an independent production supported by our patrons, who I absolutely love and adore. For a monthly contribution, you get immediate access to the archive, horoscopes and telescopes, exclusive forecasts, and more. And if you want me to take a look at your natal chart, you can ask a question in our monthly Q&A video too. If all that sounds like your thing, head over to patreon.com badastro and stay for a spell. Another way to show your support is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It may sound simple, but it is a magical way to help others find the show. And of course, head over to Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest releases. Finally, if you love the show, tell your friends. It might just make their day. This time, we're doing something a little bit different. Halloween is tomorrow, and it isn't just any Halloween. There is a full moon, which feels so appropriately witchy and spooky, I just couldn't ignore it. So in honor of that, we're going full goth and doing a dead witch seance, which means we're diving into the astrology charts of some of my favorite mystics and occultists. Then we're going to play a little game I like to call witch or not a witch, where we'll decide whether or not some famous witch adjacent celebrities are actually as magic as they seem using their natal charts as a guide. It's going to be weird and fun, and since we can't all hang out in person around a fire, this is my way of inviting you onto my front porch and talking about the stars. So grab a goblet, put on a cloak, take a deep breath, and let's start this very special show. Alright, so first up, the Dead Witch Seance. I am so excited about this. So some of y'all may know, and I think I mentioned on the last episode with Diana Rose Harper, who is just so lovely, um, that a project of mine is studying the charts of famous people to try to figure out um, either... Do they have magical, psychic, intuitive, instinctive abilities of any kind? Is that their their lane? Is that their vibe? Or if so, what kind of magic are, are they involved with? Are they more of just a, a practical witch? Are they someone who makes wishes and things just happen for them? Are they really tuned into other people's energy? Or do they have a heightened sense of danger that can inform them when something might be up with their family or someone doesn't wish them well. Um, there are as many different kinds of magical talents and skills as there are placements in a natal chart. And I think everything has its own form of magic, but it's looking at it holistically to figure out how things play together and looking, frankly, just rationally about that person and their belief system and saying, does it fit? In this case, it's pretty obvious because when you're talking about people who were professionally magical or involved in the occult in some way, that part is is understood. But what I'm really intrigued with is what their contribution was or rather like some of these folks, it's were they more of a showman than they or show person um, than they were a wizard or a mage um, or whatever you want to call the strange uh, magical act that we do. So I'm going to start out with Alistair Crowley, um, the number one most problematic witch in history, maybe. I know he wanted to be the evilest man, but um he was at least at the very least one of the most problematic figures we have and it's really complicated because his contribution to the what we now understand to be like 
the occult section of the bookstore cannot be understated. I mean, it is totally based on um, Crowleyan thought and, and the things that he wrote and his religion, Thelema. Um, and it's especially complicated by the fact that, um, you know, one thing that's tricky about the witch internet and witch Twitter and Instagram and all of that is... I feel like it's sometimes an echo chamber where we're all talking to each other with this assumption that everybody knows the whole history of everything and no one actually talks about where anything came from. And if you ask, it's like it's kind of ghost or you're seen as not being as in the know or not as magical. And so some of this that I'm going to talk about is trying to untangle like where do these things come into, God help me, I'm about to say the discourse word, um, where do these things come into the discourse? Where do these people fit and how do they fit in with the, the modern mystics? Again, this is a seance, so all of these folks are dead. Um, I didn't I didn't feel like it was fair or a good idea to look at the charts of people who are still living and making amazing contributions. Um, but yeah, let's do it. Let's let's conjure some dead mystics. Right. So for Alistair Crowley, for those of you who don't know, trying to explain who Crowley was or what he did um, is beyond almost explanation. I will let you do a cursory Google search. I was going to read his uh, actual biography, Perdurabo, um, but it's like a thousand pages. It's, it's an absurd, it's like bigger than the Bible, um, which honestly, like he's written voluminously and I get it. Um, but the Cliff Notes version is he was a, a writer, a mystic who was involved and ascended very quickly in the Golden Dawn and ultimately um, broke up with them, was encouraged to go his own way um, because his ideas were so provocative. Um, and he ultimately founded a religion called Thelema, um, which was centered around a transmission that he received at the pyramids. It is a wild story, and I highly recommend that you read it. Um, from a, a being called Iwas. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it, there's lots of different transliterative spellings of it. Um, and that book is what is now known as the Book of the Law, which you'll see quoted in lots of different places. And that's where we get, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, um, so on and so forth. Um, he had the, he believed that um, these spirits that were centered largely on Egyptian imagery and mythos were here to bring about a new aeon and he was going to be the sort of the figurehead or the oracle of this new aeon um, and he was also very well known for his sex magical practices and through Thelema we come to the idea of the Scarlet Woman which is um, I think very interesting and gotten a lot of popularity on on the internet and through writings of folks that I'll mention um, later on. Um, but just as far as Alistair Crowley's birth chart goes, I'm fascinated by the fact that he has his son conjunct Venus in Libra, um, which is the sign of justice and balance and law. Um, and obviously Venus is beauty and love, and so obviously the person who wrote Do What Thou Wilt Shall Be the Whole of the Law, Lo Love is the Law, Love Under Will, like, it, it feels like such a tangible, like, palpable, some like, symbolic talisman of, like, his chart is so present in those words, it ultimately became his legacy. Um, and I think that, that, you know, Venus is uh, and it's domicile in Libra. It, she loves to be there. And it's the love goddess in her most um, lofty form. It's not like the earthy, sensual, material, like I'm going to drape myself across like a velvet um, comforter wearing silk. It's like this idealized version of woman um, and what the feminine is. And I think that is actually where his legacy gets most problematic is that... Um, heightened version of what the feminine uh means is could be it gets very um cis heteronormative but um as a concept and those words themselves are really lovely really beautiful and a really interesting uh, manifestation of his son so for his moon um he has a moon in pisces which i 
he is, for better or for worse, such an embodiment of that archetype. So Pisces is the Zodiac's poet, the romantic, um, and throughout, you know, the romantic period and even up to now, we have this idea of the romantic hero who's sort of like self-immolating through substance and just seeking more and more and more peak experiences. Um, and that is, that's a very Piscean thing. And having the moon there, it's like those peak experiences that he saw in in sex magic and magic that was fueled by entheogens um you know there's only so much you can do that and not just lose so much of um you know it's great for reaching the heights not so great for when you need to like pay your taxes or be at a place on time or I don't know like treat somebody else as not just an extension of of you um, so yeah, he, it was very well known for, um, dabbling in, in, and not dabbling, but quite using entheogens, um, but also for his, I mean, he had a very real, um, psychic and magical ability and talent, and like I said, so much of what, um, you should read magic and theory and practice. I don't agree with everything in there, but it's a fundamental, um, piece of work to understand if you're going to really understand the Western mystery tradition as it is uh, come to be today. So, of course, the moon in Pisces, Rotha. The moon in Pisces is the comfort zone is sort of being in the flow of all that is and, and merging with everything. And that sort of boundarylessness is definitely there. And you'll see it in his writing. So the most intriguing part of his, well, there's other, I'm going to say most intriguing a lot in this episode because I'm genuinely so curious about all of these people. <laughs> um, but Aleister Crowley had a Leo rising, which is co-present with Uranus and Leo. Um, and this has always been, I don't want to say a point of contention for me, but it's always stood out, right? Um, I think the Leo rising is the part of him. Leo is a performer. They want to put on an amazing show. And so much of what he wrote about, like, with the equinox and, and the rituals that he did, like, ritual is putting on a show. Like, that is an extension of Dionysian rites. Like, the theater and magic are already inextricably connected. And I think that he was able to pull that thread out and really do something quite powerful with it. Um, and Leo Rising, too, is kind of the... It can be a person who becomes sort of like a golden god figure um, who is so admired and has just so much um, like gravitas that they pull people to them, but in a way that like they're just beloved. But then, of course, the dark side is it can spill over into being um, quite egocentric and arrogant and just only thinking about your own needs and so I think that we see that with him right he just saw other people especially the women in his life as extensions of his own magical practice and like could not conceive of this you know people's boundaries outside of the world that he created for himself um the co-presence with Uranus is interesting and one thing I want to dive into more in another episode is the connection of Uranus that I talked about with Diana Rose um, with energy work or being able to sort of sense other people's electrical fields. I mean, this is not a fake thing, right? I'm not sure if we can tell what color our auras are, but our bodies certainly generate electrical energy. And um, I have many friends who do uh, Reiki healings, and I think it's just something that we need to explore more. But yeah, people who have a strong Uranus presence, especially in the first house, they are attuned to the sort of like when they come into a room there's like a spark there's an electricity right and they're able to sort of feed on that with other people and I could see how he quick was able to quickly tune into like the zeitgeist and other people's needs and desires and sort of make that a part of his traveling show um he also has his Mars exalted in Capricorn, and I don't even need to explain all of the different ways that Mars in Capricorn is like, definitely has a 666 number of the beast energy, um, very lusty, very driven to like achieve and experience all of the material pleasures of the flesh. Um, 
especially with its trine to Pluto and Taurus. Um, Pluto is very magnetic and Taurus is frankly um, horny. So those things together are, um, it's kind of like a magical vortex of um, desire or lust. And then that's amplified by the fact that he had his Mercury and Jupiter together in Scorpio in his fourth house. Um, so like the very base of his, at the very base of his chart is this desire to feel and experience and test the limits of taboos and to talk about that, to feel it, to think about it, to talk about it, all of that. Um, but maybe the most spooky part of his chart is that he has a yod aspect pattern. Um, some of y'all will know what this is, others. It is, so in the middle of your chart, which is a circle, different uh, aspects can come together to make what looks like a picture in the middle of it or, or a shape. Um, and the yod is a sextile, it's like a little line um, with two in conjunctions that butt up against it and it makes a, a long triangle that looks like a finger. So um, Yad is a Hebrew letter that looks like a finger pointing and it's it's called the finger of God. Um, and interestingly, the Yad in the Golden Dawn until tarot decks is associated with the Hermit tarot card, which I love because I think that is a really interesting representation of what, um, what a Yad aspect pattern does. Um, so the traditional understanding is that it's someone who has a really powerful fate, has some kind of destiny or message that they're here to deliver and they're very driven by that. You know, sometimes it can be a feeling of being very pushed by fate until you figure out what's at the tip of that yacht and you sort of go after it intentionally. Um, there can be a lot of like unconscious being pushed by uh, to and fro by the gods until you figure that part out. Um, but you can serve this function to other people of being like a hermit's lamp, right? The, the light in the darkness or illuminating, um, illuminating a new path. And, you know, it might not be a path for everybody and it might be a path that has a lot of problems, but he definitely illuminated a path. Um, one thing that I'm also really interested in in Alistair Crowley's chart is that he is about to have a Saturn return. So his Saturn is an Aquarius along with his descendant. So that's the point opposite the ascendant. Um, and the descendant could be, we'll talk about it more in this episode. Um, and we've talked about it in past episodes. It relates to other people or like what other people project onto you. And so I'm wondering with this um, Saturn return and Saturn to Crowley's descendant, if we'll all end up grappling with all the things that we project onto his legacy, maybe his ideas or about magic, maybe his religion, Thelema, will have a coming of age in some way. And probably not a pretty one because Saturn returns are never pretty, but it, it might bring some a new layer of depth and maturity. Um, Man in Hedenberg White has done some really interesting um, academic work uh, with her book, The Eloquent Blood, about Babylon and construction of femininities, which is, of course, related to Alistair Crowley Salima. Um, and so I think that um, I would be curious to see more scholarly work on this, but also more more criticism. You know, there's there's good stuff here, and in order to, to talk about it, we have to criticize and just be aware of, of what's there instead of just, I don't know, partaking in these things around spooky season. Maybe I'm a part of the problem. I don't know. Anyways, so the next chart that I want to talk about is somebody who worked very closely with Crowley for many, many years, and that's Leah Hirsig, who was the original Scarlet Woman. Um, she helped him found the Abbey of Thelema, but ultimately left after Crowley broke it off with her and unceremoniously declared Dorothy Olsen the quote-unquote new Scarlet Woman, um, which is where we get the idea that the Scarlet Woman is like an office or something that you can just embody or be like until then it was like no that is the person of Leah Hirsig um but you know 
throughout this time, she was the initiatrix for Crowley's religion. That just means that she initiated people into it and even carried out rituals with Crowley, including his achievement of the highest grade of Ipsissimus. Oh my god. I want all of you guys, when you're like having fun and drinking this, <laughs> just to try to say the word Ipsissimus out loud and not mess it up. I am just, you know, all I've had today is coffee, so. Leah Hirsig has this really lovely Aries son. Um, I love Aries ladies just putting it out there. Y'all are so fun and fiery and just like bold and vibrant. And um, her son aligns with Crowley's Midheaven. Um, which is this great sign that she, you know, even when things, even in death, right, she just amplified Alistair Crowley's, like, light in the world and influence um, and publicity. I mean, sometimes the sun is just, like, straight up in the midheaven is just publicity and being seen. So she helped him be seen. I would even go as far as to say as the sun is the ego and self and through her work with Crowley, she helped him find himself. Um, we don't have an accurate birth time for Aaliyah, but a noon chart puts her moon exalted in Taurus, which just feels so right. Like Taurus, when I think of the Scarlet Woman, I think of Cancer, of course, but I also think of Taurus, like I was talking about that very earthy, um, embodied femininity. Um, and it would be conjunct Neptune, um, which feels just so accurate. So Neptune is a point that is very, very much associated with spirituality, with dreams, with magic, um, with a religious and intoxicated ecstasy. Um, and so when we talk about mystics or people who were or are witches, there's usually, there's all different kinds of witches, but Neptune is one of the archetypes. So having her moon, which is again associated with witches, in Taurus, which is very sexy, conjunct Neptune, which is the, the planet of magic. Um, she, I mean, honestly, I feel like she was, I don't want to say more magical than he was, but I'm just pointing out the facts. Um, Curiously, she also had her Saturn, Pluto, Chiron, and asteroid Pythia, which is associated with being an oracle, all conjuncts in Taurus, so with her moon, but just not like exactly conjunct with that, which means she had this incredible amount of sensual power. I mean, obviously, as the first Scarlet Woman, and was a true seer and healer, right? Um, with really like grounded down to earth power. Um, another point of sign of for her and Crowley, her Lilith was on Crowley's sun and Venus, which is really, really interesting. Um, we love Lilith on this show. Um, Lilith was banished forthwith from the Garden of Eden. Yes, that was a Rohan reference. <laughs> I'm really sorry. We're doing the deep cuts today, apparently. Um, yeah, Lilith was, according to Jewish lore, Adam's first wife, and um, she wanted him to have sex with her in a position other than missionary, and he was like, I'm not sure that's okay. I don't think women are supposed to do that. And she was like, yeah, they are. Um, and then she was banished and called the mother of demons. And in the astrology chart, she points to the, the wildness of our sexuality that can't be contained or put in a box, um, and also feelings of righteous anger and just intensity, intensity of emotion and emotion that can be spiraled out into powerful magical workings, but also Lilith can be destructive, especially in relationship. Like doing Lilith by yourself tends to go really well, but I have seen Lilith as a force for disruption or surprises or just Emotions so powerful, you're not really sure what to do with them in sinistry like this. So, there you go. Um, also, Leah Hirsig's Venus was conjunct um, the glamour witch of Greek mythology, uh, Circe, or Kyrke, I guess rather, in Pisces, um, which is super magical. Venus is exalted in Pisces, and um, 
yeah, I mean, it's the layers and layers of magic here just continue to build. Um, but the thing that really intrigues me is she has her Mars conjunct Eris in Pisces. And as you're about to see, uh, Eris is a dwarf planet that I have talked about several times on Bad Astrologers, but just a quick review. She is named for the Greek goddess of discord who threw out the apple that ultimately started the Trojan War. She loves to stir the shit. Um, and she is, in very spooky ways, comes up in charts related to um, Babylon, um, the the one of the very central figures of the Lima, all the way up to one of her modern devotees, Alcistus, who is such a lovely guest here. Um, so Mars conjunct Eris and Pisces. When I saw that, I thought, wow, that's that's really spooky and interesting, especially in Pisces where, um, you know, her sexuality was inherently spiritual. It was inherently about merging and finding union and communion with whatever you believe to be divine. So... Leah Hersig, RIP. She got a raw deal, <laughs> but um, at least we can appreciate her through this podcast. Okay, the night we're going to take a quick break from the Crowley show <laughs> to talk about a mystic that I have been reading lately, who I absolutely love their work. Um, it's Dion Fortune, a female mystic from similar time period as she wrote the cosmic doctrine the mystical kabbalah and psychic self-defense as well as magically influenced novels like the sea priestess and the winged bull um she wasn't a member of the golden dawn proper but she was influential in its offshoot alpha at omega and eventually her own fraternity of the inner light um through 22 teachings which i have been raving about um, we have been studying her book, The Mystical Kabbalah, which, first of all, I love so much of occultism, I feel, even unfortunately up to the modern day, is reading things written by dead white guys or occasionally living white guys. <laughs> um, and I feel like we still have so much work to do on doing justice to um, women of color um, and non-binary and trans authors as well. But just the, the excitement of being able to read um, occult work, really intense, wonderful occult work by a woman um, who was working with these folks that we really uphold very highly in this practice is so wonderful. And it is problematic. It is a, a product of her time and... Um, you know, she doesn't use all the right words, but when she, especially in the mystical Kabbalah, when she talks about how the spheres on the tree of life work and just generally her way of explaining things, she has a really interesting way of using metaphors to um, help get these really lofty concepts across that I honestly really struggled with until I read her work. So shout out Dion Fortune. Um, she has her son conjunct Venus retrograde in Sagittarius which I think is great. And again, perfect manifestation of her work and of her chart. Um, Venus retrograde gets a lot of hate, but I have seen Venus retrograde as a force for good in the chart of women who, um, or female identifying folks who have some association with spirituality. Like, I think Venus retrograde is a tough thing to deal with when you're not awake to it, when you're not a self-actualized person is trying to like help other people and help yourself. Um, but when you are in, involved in spirituality in some way, Venus retrograde can turn that Venusian energy inward and help you really um, do something very powerful with it. So obviously Sagittarius is, you know, Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, who's the, the priest of the Zodiac, right? And she um, was very much focused on, you know, Aleister Crowley was trying to break away from the traditions and kind of stomp them into the ground and say, like, fuck this. I want to be the scariest person in the world. But she was really working within the orders or adjacent to the orders to use 
you know, to try to dig the deepest knowledge, the deepest forbidden fruit. I, I sometimes think of Sagittarius as like always trying to get the next apple from the tree or whatever they were eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's totally true here. Um, she also had her moon and ascendant in Libra, um, which I think totally shines through in her writing style, which is very, um, very beautiful, very just like nice to read, you know, Crowley uh, and Jack Parsons and others. It's very sharp. Um, it is a, a two-edged sword in Jack Parsons' case, but with this, you really get to just sit and see the, the beauty um, in the words and in the concepts. Um, so another thing that I wanted to share related to this is that you can sometimes see a connection between the charts of people, famous people or dead people or whoever who have influenced you and your own chart. So with Dion Fortune, in her case, her son is exact on my ascendant, and so it feels like for her... When I did read her books, it illuminated a lot for me. It was like the sun came and just like shined a big spotlight. And it feel the sun is very like expansive and warm and fuzzy. And I definitely get those uh, reading her work. So I would just challenge you. It's a fun, uh, you could call it ancestor work or like ancestor propitiation to like go and write down the names of the people who have influenced you, um, who have passed on and look at their chart if it's available and like see if it lines up with yours. This is one of my favorite activities. Um, Dion Fortune also has this really interesting Neptune-Pluto conjunction in Gemini. Um, that would have been more of a generational thing, um, but Neptune and Pluto, like it gives this very, her magic and her spirituality is very focused on diving through the veils, um, seeing what lies beyond death, all of that kind of stuff. And she was, so she was born in 1890. Um, and then the years that followed, like, seances were it, right? Like, people were obsessed with phantasmagoria and bringing the, you know, using mediums to bring the dead back uh, to speak and all of these things. So I think... Um, that's just uh, an interesting thing to look at if you're interested in mystics of this era, for sure. Um, she also has her Mars and Jupiter and Aquarius. So you know how I said that Alistair Crowley is going to have a Sodom return in the next year or two? She's going to have a Jupiter return, and I'm so excited. Like, I really hope that it brings, like, more publicity to her work or, I don't know, it's, you know, even once someone's dead, transits like that can activate it and bring it back into the public consciousness in some way. So I don't know. You never know. Um, the last thing about her is that she has this grand air trine and a mutable T-square. So like that's a lot of, of energy that's hard to contain and is very malleable. And her ideas were very malleable and shifted a lot. A lot of what she did was just trying to bring, um, trying to synthesize these really huge concepts um, and make the, yeah, I think you could just call her work like the 1890s version of Make It Make Sense Occult Edition, which is why it's really nice to read. Um, but yeah, her biographer is known to have said, had Dion devoted her formidable powers and considerable talents to writing pure and simple, she could have been a great novelist by orthodox standards, or if not a novelist in the first division, at least a promotion challenger from the second. And that's kind of like a hateful comment and feels like a side eye um, because she was involved in magic and it feels like he's saying if she didn't waste her time on this magic bullshit, she could have made a huge contribution to the literary field. And damn if I, um, you know, I, I see that. But I think that it's an interesting way to see how a grand air trine or a mutable T-square works, right? So grand trines are not always good. Like sometimes... You can be so used to, like, for her, her formidable mental acuity um, that you either, it's like air, it just disperses like the like the sun through the clouds. Um, so yeah, she's an interesting figure. Look her up, read her books, and uh, maybe you have sign history with her too. Who knows? Okay, so next up we have, you knew I wasn't going to do a Halloween episode without talking about Jack Parsons, right? <laughs> 
So he is a figure in history that is so wild to even talk about. It sounds like it's made up. Like, I definitely, when I heard about Jack Parsons, I thought people were fucking with me. Um, But they weren't. It's true. Um, He literally provided the science that allowed us to invent rocket fuel. And also was an occultist involved in Thelema in America and California and did the Babylon working that, depending on how you look at it, if you squint really hard, he may have actually uh, summoned an avatar of Babylon and the person of Marjorie Cameron. Real wild shit. Um, Strange Angel, I watched this show and it's, it is kind of slow and boring um, in places and interesting in others and they don't get the magic right really much at all but it it was fun to watch and I enjoyed it and if you're interested in Jack Parsons as a person you're more of a cursory like let me dip my toe in these waters before I go full Babylon um maybe take a look at it it could be fun spooky Halloween watching so his chart I need a drink of water before we do Jack Parsons chart okay so Jack Parson was a Libra sun, Pisces moon, and Gemini rising. So, curiously, he does have that Pisces moon, which was the same as Crowley, and his moon was conjunct Eris. You guessed it. So there's the appearance of that Eris dwarf planet that seems to follow these people that are somehow involved with the figure of Babylon. And I should probably explain, Babylon comes up a lot on this podcast because she's a popular figure in the occult right now. Um, I actually wrote about her very briefly in the taroscopes for Scorpio season because, um, the advice card was the Queen of Cups and I get really bored with the Queen of Cups as like, I don't know, like compassionate, let me give you a hug. Um, sometimes she totally is that, but I was thinking about goddesses that are also cupbearers, um, and Babylon is definitely that. Um, she's sort of goddess of revelations talked she's the whore of Babylon that John talked about in revelations um, who was probably a reference to the depravity of Rome um, and or older goddesses like Ishtar and Anna um, from the Babylonian Sumerian um, dynasties or civilizations um, but she is also a strange uh, amalgam of symbols that was sort of made possible through through Crowley. So when you hear us talk, she and she's pictured as holding a cup um, of abominations, the blood of the saints. And so um, when we talk about Babylon and the cup, that's what it is. And so for the Queen of Cups, I was saying like sometimes the Queen of Cups um, proffers a cup that is a, a bitter thing to drink or um, is, is challenging in some way, um, or even intoxicating, but, um, it's part of the experience and it can help you transmute whatever you put in the cup into something better. So, weird aside, back to his chart, um, yeah, so Eris as Babylon, we see it again. Um, he also had an out of sign grand trine, which I still count. Seeing a lot of grand trines with these very magical people, I think it's that grand trines, um, I think of them as portals. Um, portal is such a loaded word, and I don't mean to, like, put the, um, witch talk folks on high alert. I'm not talking about, like, a lion portal. I am talking about, literally, it's a, a way for, it means that these people have, opportunities are sort of able to conjure opportunities very easily like doors are just open to them um it's kind of like a threshold all they ought to do is step through it um the trick is sometimes you can be so good at doing that that you get things that you don't want and or you rest on your laurels because things are just available to you Um, Jack Parsons also had Saturn conjunct Pluto exact in Cancer, which is the opposite of what we experienced this year, which is super freaky because interest in him this year is definitely surged. And I think, I think what it is that he's similar to us was born into a time when things were changing so much. Um, and we were on the, the verge of so many discoveries, um, 
He also has this really amazing Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in Aquarius, which is co-present with his midheaven. Um, so Aquarius comes up a lot with these mystics. So Aquarius is... It's so much. It's almost hard to describe. We have an air signs episode where I, I talked about it a little bit. Um, but Aquarius people have this ability to be like five steps ahead of whatever the zeitgeist is. Like they are just clued into whatever the signs of the times are. They are futurists. They're always thinking ahead of the curve. And so with the Jupiter conjunct Uranus and Aquarius, right? This Uranus is also invention. I mean, of course, of course he was, you know, working with a space program and and also doing magic. Like, his, he was channeling pure energy. Um, he also had his Mercury conjunct Mars and Scorpio, which is, like, not that surprising. Scorpio is very spooky and um, highly sexual, and there it is. Um, the thing about his chart that is especially spooky is he has this eerie seven-pointed star in the middle, which looks like the Star of Babylon. You should check it out. Just Google it. I've never seen that before, and I'm not going to say um, here any more about that. You can look it up. Um, he also, so, a little secret between us. I am working on a couple of courses for next year that involve um, some research that I've been doing because I really want to help other people be able to incorporate it into their charts. So some of the things about asteroids and magic in his chart, I'm not going to say on this. I am going to say in that course. So stick around for that. Obviously, y'all on the podcast will be the first to know when it happens. And yeah, it's great. So when we talk about Jack Parsons, we can't talk about Jack Parsons without talking about Marjorie Cameron, the artist, the actress, and depending on how you shake it, Jack Parsons, Scarlet Woman. Um, she had a beautiful Venus-ruled Taurus sun, um, Scorpio rising, so um, again with the very uh, taboo focus, like she just presented herself as the embodiment of taboo. And exactly like um, Jack Parsons, she had a Pisces moon conjunct Eris. Really weird, right? Um, she also had Juno conjunct her moon. And sometimes the asteroid Juno can come up when um, there is sort of a, a scarlet lady figure that enters a relationship um, or someone who is involved in a power couple type uh, partnership. And with this, that is totally true. We definitely think of them as being a, a albeit short-lived, um, power couple of the occult. Um, the thing about her that I find um, maybe most defines her energy or how we as a public think of her is that she had her Venus, the love goddess, the beauty goddess, in Taurus. So domicile, like very heightened, very embodied, aligned with her descendant. And so Marjorie Cameron is an interesting figure because you got to wonder how much is like her the person and how much is being projected onto her and with the descendant being projection. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe we won't ever know, but we, she definitely has this um, amazing holographic like, you know, Venus presence. Um, she also almost has a pentagram in her chart with some, um, in conjunction stuff going on. You should look it up. It's also kind of creepy and it makes me feel funny to look at. So take a peek if you want some fun Halloween looking and, uh, and enjoy. So, um, the last chart that I wanted to mention today is none other than John D. We can't really talk about the occult without talking about John D. in my opinion. So John D. is a absolutely fascinating figure that I'm obsessed with because he's obviously known in occult circles for his work with Edward Kelly, um, with the Enochian visions and speaking with angels and scrying and all of that, but... He was also a, an accepted member of the, the court and advisor to the Virgin and Queen Elizabeth I. Um, and there, 
I could do an entire episode probably just on John D. I'm going to let you look it up. He got um, in trouble for casting a horoscope for, in trouble, arrested, um, for casting a horoscope for her sister um, back then. I mean, that was, it's not like she just put his, her birth information into CoStar. Like, that was a lot of work and it was really considered political espionage because if you're casting a chart about a ruler, they would have thought, oh, you're trying to plan a coup, which, I mean, was she not? I mean, I'm just saying. Um, so as far as his astrology, um, he has a Cancer sun, um, exactly conjunct Lilith. So Cancer, I've talked about, I think of Cancer as the pirate, right? And um, John D was so formative in starting this Um for better, for worse, age of exploration of the new world. And so, um, especially conjunct Lilith, he was working hand in hand with um, a very Lilith type woman, Elizabeth I. Um, he also had his Mercury in Jupiter in Cancer as well, where Jupiter is exalted. And all of that was in the eighth house, which is the sign of the occult, right? So, those, those things just stack on and on and on each other. Jupiter is another intrepid explorer of the Zodiac. And I think um, that definitely, uh, that exaltation allowed him to have an extremely expansive influence over the world too. Um, he had his Mars and Scorpio. There we see the Mars and Scorpio again in the 12th house. Um, and the 12th house is an interesting house because it is dreams and spirituality and connection to the divine um, but it's also secret enemies and given his position in the courts he definitely had powerful magic powerful enemies and powerful secrets um his juno juno seems to be coming up a lot with these mystics this might be hmm, i'm gonna have to do some research um juno was conjunctus midheaven and libra again i see that as sort of a power couple dynamic not that he was with elizabeth the first but his legacy is very much wrapped up with her mythos um and because he is such an old figure he is currently having a pluto return since he has pluto and capricorn um just like the united states of america is having a pluto return as well um and to me I see that in his chart as coming to grips with his influence on imperialism, um, that he coined the phrase the British Empire. And so as we think about empire and what that means and decolonization and all of that, I think John Dee is sort of a figure around which that conversation can constellate. Haha, I did not mean to make an astrology joke. Okay, so that is all of the dead witches I have for you. I know there are so many more. I, I made a huge list and I, I wanted to give a really deep reading of all of these. So I, I just focused on a couple, but you can do your own dead witch seances in, in the comfort of your homes for Halloween and I hope you have fun. Okay, next up. It's time for Witch or Not a Witch. We're going to look at living celebrities and decide whether or not they're witches. This is so much fun. This is a game I play with myself all the time, and I hope you like it too. Okay, first up, we have Aaliyah, the wonderful and late singer. So Aaliyah had Aquarius rising, so she was definitely open to weird. Um, and her moon and Saturn together in Virgo in the eighth house feels very practical magic to me. And she also has this super strong Mars and Capricorn on her sun in the 12th house, um, which is a very spooky house. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, she was a witch. Um, anybody who has seen Queen of the Damned knows this. I've actually never seen Queen of the Dam, but I remember having vivid, this, this vivid experience of being in Blockbuster. I'm aging myself right now. Um, and looking, like being obsessed with the cover of it and like wanting to watch it, but being terrified to ask to rent it out. So, I mean, that's what Netflix is for. Maybe I'll watch Queen of the Dam for Halloween. All right, next up we have Kris Jenner. Um, this one goes out to Brie Luna, if you're listening. I love you. Um, so at the very least, Kris Jenner is definitely psychic. She's got her Mercury conjunct Neptune and Libra, which makes her like this fashion and beauty oracle. 
Um, she's also got the moon in Cancer for those killer instincts. Like, her business and family instincts are not to be fucked with. Um, she also has her sun, Venus, and Saturn in Scorpio, which is powerful and also exacting when it comes to beauty. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, I think she's a witch. Um, honestly, I think all the Kardashians are witches. Uh, Kendall's a Scorpio. Kylie has that Scorpio moon. Um, Kylie might be the most magical of them all. But again, there are asteroids in play there that I'm, I'm going to save that for later next year. So stay tuned. Next up, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman might be my favorite actress or at least one of my very favorite actresses. Um, I She has this aura about her where she's so like riveting in everything she does. Like she could just read the grocery list and you'd be like, yes, Nicole, you should deserve an Oscar. Um, and I was like, is she a witch or does she just have a lot of screen presence? So I think if she's not a witch, she is at least like alarmingly lucky. Like she has this grand fire trine with her that involves her Venus, Jupiter, and Midheaven conjunction. You heard that, right? All the benefics on the Midheaven. So she's basically able to conjure anything on a whim, which I imagine can also lead to complications. Um, I'm also intrigued by her Saturn conjunct Eris, which we talked about. And she does sometimes play like a Scarlet Woman figure. Um, maybe it's just the red hair. Maybe I'm getting confused. I don't know. But I'm going to say which adjacent for Nicole Kidman. Um, Beyonce, yes. I don't even need to talk about her chart. We can just say yes. I've been saying this for ages before she did the photo shoots that were clearly inspired by, um, Yamaya before she talked about cleansing her crystals in the full moon. Um, she has a moon Uranus Lilith conjunction in Scorpio that just does not quit. And I feel like especially in Lemonade, um, we see that come forth just strong and fierce and honestly kind of terrifying in a good way. All right, next, Whoopi Goldberg, another one of my favorites. Um, she's totally a witch. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. She played Guinan, um, the amazing bartender in 10 Forward on Star Trek The Next Generation, who had uh, very strong psychic powers. And then, of course, the, the Molly, you endanger girl, um, uh, meme from Ghost is, like, that's her real-life vibe. That's who she is. Um, her sun, moon, Mercury, and Saturn and Scorpio in the 10th house is intense. It's just, like, that, it's, a, it also gives her that level of magnetism and gravitas, but also, like, raw psychic power she's working with right up front in your face. Um, she also has her Mars conjunct Neptune and Libra, um, and so I feel like her art makes her open to spirituality, like maybe she's channeling, I think she's channeling something really powerful when she's working, and it's working for her, I mean, Academy Awards, right? Um, and again with the Aquarius rising, she has Aquarius rising, and besides being iconic, I mean, she's gonna have a big year in 2021, so I can't wait to see what happens for her. Wishing you good things, Whoopi. Okay, another Ariana Grande. She gives me witch vibes a little bit. She has that like um, smile like she just did something bad like all the time. Um, and so I looked at it. She has Uranus and Neptune conjunct on her ascendant, which is a generational marker. Um, I, and I both of those are definitely like I feel like I don't have enough information or I personally don't know Ariana well enough to say whether she's a witch or not. So Ariana, if you want to hang out and talk about it, I'm happy to help. Um, but I think it's also that that's part of her allure is that she is like a open channel for the zeitgeist, right? Like it's how she's able to just make hit after hit after hit. It just flows through her. Um, she does have a Scorpio Midheaven, which is very, again, like, magnetic. Um, and she has her moon and Jupiter together in the 10th house, which is just, that's more of a fame indicator to me. So I'm going to say, nope, not a witch, just very famous and charming. But still love you anyways, Ariana. Next up, we have um, Carice Van Houten, who played Melisandre in Game of Thrones. I know y'all are sick of hearing me talk about Game of Thrones, but I'll never shut up about it. And 
sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, so she has her Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Pluto. So every personal planet plus Pluto conjunct in Libra in Trine or Jupiter in Gemini. Um, and depending on her birth time, she could have an Aquarius moon that would make that a grand trine. Um, that is just, how do I even describe it? It's not just magnetism. It's like, she is truly a femme fatale. She has this allure. And I think it makes her so, so good as Melisandre in Game of Thrones. Um, where even on, I watched this video of her on Seth Meyers, as Melisandre on Seth Meyers. And it's like, she can turn that on and... Um, just really dominate any room that she's in. Um, she also has her Uranus and Scorpio on the North Node. Um, and that Scorpio North Node is an interesting thing. Like, it, it means that going towards the, the taboo parts of life, going towards magic and sexuality is part of her destiny or part of what she does well. Um, and so I would say for her, especially with Uranus there, I think she's a witch. She might not realize she's a witch, but she's definitely a witch. I had feelings when she was doing that incantation at the... Well, I don't want to do spoilers. Everybody knows what happened, but you get the idea. She is a secret witch. Um, Henry Cavill. I think he... I, I There's something about him. I was like, is he a witch? So he has this Aquarius ascendant that sandwiched between Lilith and the moon, which are both very much related to um, femininity, uh, female spirituality, witchcraft. Um, and the Aquarius ascendant throughout this episode, we've seen that come up as uh, an indicator of just being open to forms of spirituality that are that are different. And so I would say... He's hyper aware of intuition and instinct and even, you know, feminine divine. Um, he has this interesting Jupiter-Uranus conjunction on his Sagittarius midheaven, which makes him this very adventurous spirit, definitely excellent action hero. Um, but I'm not seeing anything that would tell me, like, definitively whether, like, he would do magic on purpose or even accidentally. So I'm going to say he's witch-adjacent. Maybe an accidental witch. <laughs> He's a, a witcher. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I should have written that down, but I didn't. Oh well. Last person is Rihanna. So Rihanna has Eris, who we've talked about being super magic, um, exact on her Aries ascendant with the moon, Venus, and Jupiter there too. Oh my god, that is so both benefics and her moon, which is tuned into how she feels in her body, um, her instincts, her own intuition, um, all there together with Eris, um, and it squares her Neptune in the 10th house, so again, that psychic indicator there too, that is wild, um, I don't know whether it's witchy, but it's definitely, um, she has a lot of power and she knows how to wield it, um, she also has Mars and Jupiter in mutual reception, which I think is really interesting, and with her, you always get this feeling like something is about to blow up. Um, maybe she's going to set a car on fire, like in a music video. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's like desire is her fuel. So fuck it. I'm going to say Rihanna is a witch. All right. That was a lot of stuff. And I hope that you had as much fun as I did. Um, resurrecting these dead witches of... Um, looking at these celebrities and seeing whether we think they're magical or not. But I just want to remind you that no matter what chart you have, you are magical. And this is, this is such a special Halloween. So I hope that you do something, even if it's just treat yourself um, and and enjoy the moment. You know, full moon on Halloween, I don't want to say it's rare, but it does feel pretty fun and special. Um, and if you want to learn more about what that specific full moon is all about in the October forecast um, on Patreon. I talk and break it all the way down. So that's all I've got for you. And thank you. Uh, I just recently had my 32nd birthday. I moved from a eighth house lunar year to a ninth house uh, solar year, and it already feels better, but... Um, I was going to do something like 
lessons I've learned in 32 years, but I'm not uh, so self-centered that I would think you would want to hear like 32 things in 32 years. Uh, I'm just me. And if you made it this far in the episode, like I so appreciate you. So instead of that, I just want to give you a huge thank you for for supporting me and supporting this podcast. And I'm just so grateful that there's something in it that has resonated with you. And I just want to my wish for this year is just to continue to be able to do it, to make magical things that that make you feel happy and can help you grow in whatever your practice is, be it astrological or spiritual or just trying to have more fun in your life. So with that, I wish you a absolutely wonderful Halloween and I'll talk to you next time. Love you.